In today's episode, I discuss the concept of free will a little more. In our churches, we love to use big words. We obfuscate our pedagogy through superfluous grandiloquence, manifesting hubris instead of demureness. See what I mean? Inconceivable. While I might have a speech impediment, I certainly do not want to have a preach impediment. These get in the way of God's message reaching our hearts and minds. Let's dig through those big words and learn something incredible. Thank you for joining us again on Preach Impediments. This podcast is made possible by EdenHollow.com. And of course, we would love for you to go over there and check out the things happening with Eden Hollow. One of my favorite places to go whenever I am discussing the concept of free will is James chapter 1. Really, the whole book of James could be used to talk about this concept of free will, what we choose, the kind of choices we make, what are the things that we focus on as Christians. And James just does a great job of helping bring some clarity to the way that we make decisions. Are we making decisions from the wisdom that is from above? Are we making decisions based on our own desires? Are we pursuing the will of God? Are we acting as adulteresses? There's so much practical wisdom and instruction in the book of James. But the passage I'm speaking of in particular is James chapter 1, verse 13 down through 16. James 1, 13 down through 16. Let me read that for you. No one undergoing a trial should say, I am being tempted by God, since God is not tempted by evil. And he himself doesn't tempt anyone. But if each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire, then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Now, there's a lot of debate that surrounds this particular passage of scripture. And that is not really the direction that I'm wanting to take this podcast. There are some who will argue about how it, how can it be that God cannot be tempted by evil when Jesus was tempted? And if Jesus is God, doesn't that mean that God is tempted by evil? And then we start creating all of these uh, standards or ideas regarding what Jesus truly was when he was on earth and how much God was in him and all this kind of stuff. Honestly, we debate about a lot of stuff we don't know. Then there's the second part, that God himself doesn't tempt anyone. Well, we have passages where it does say God tested or God tempted people, like Abraham back in Genesis chapter 22. And so how can it say God himself doesn't tempt anyone when he very much did test Abraham and the same word there is used? And again, that's not the point of this podcast. I, I don't want to dig into those other than to say what James is saying here is true, and those other passages are true. And we need to make sure that we are treating the Bible fairly in a way that doesn't force one way or the other, but allows them both to be true. And there are plenty of ways that can happen. We can talk about that on another occasion, if you so want. But the part that I really want to focus on is this overall message about the idea that God is involved in our temptation, but not as a giver of the temptation, 
but as one who was interested in the outcome of the temptation. You see here, the way it is described is that each person has temptation because each person has desires. And when we are drawn away by those desires to fulfill those desires in evil ways, well, then that is what brings us temptation. We'll talk about the second part of this reading in a moment. I really want to dig into that part quickly. We are given desires by God. It might be a desire to have a certain amount of, of, of earthly goods. It might be the desire for the opposite sex. It might be desire for escape. And we can fulfill each of those desires in sinful ways. For instance, a desire to have more could lead us to steal. It could lead us to covet. It could cause us to be jealous. All three things that we shouldn't do. Or the desire for the opposite sex could lead us toward fornication or adultery. Again, wrong ways to fulfill that desire. Uh, if we're talking about the desire to escape, uh, to, to get away from the difficulties of life, well, then maybe digging into drug use or alcoholism would be a way that we pursue that desire, but we pursue it in an evil way. The desire that God puts in us is not wrong. It's when we give opportunity to the ungodly way of fulfilling that desire that we face temptation. And when we give in to that temptation, when we have that desire to do something, but then an opportunity to fulfill it in a wrong way, that is temptation. We give in to that when we let that desire be conceived it gives birth to sin, and sin leads to death. The point James is making here is that God does not desire the outcome of sin. God does not desire for us to fall into the, the difficulty of sin. God's desire is for us to fulfill those desires in a God-honoring way. So let's take those three desires again. The desire to have more could produce in us a desire to do two things. One is work hard. And the second one is to realize that others also need to have more. And therefore, we become a charitable giver to other people. There's nothing wrong with having things. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with sharing good things. And if that desire produces those two outcomes, then the desire has done good. There's nothing wrong with the desire or the affection or even the, the physical desiring of the opposite sex. But when we fulfill those things in wrong ways, there's a problem. But if that same desire leads us to a God-honoring marriage where we are able to build a relationship with the opposite sex, commit ourselves to one another, and use that relationship for God's glory, well then, that is a good thing. When that desire leads to the conceiving and birthing of children, that is a good thing. And that's what that desire is put in us for. Not to be fulfilled sinfully, but to be fulfilled in a godlike manner. The last one, escape. Well, if we fulfill that desire through methods like alcoholism or drug use, well, then that is wrong. But if 
that desire to escape this world and the troubles in it leads us to a relationship with God who has put before us the opportunity to escape this world and go to a place where there is no crying and no tears and no, or our tears will be wiped away really is what it says, uh, that we will be in a place of paradise, a place in the presence of God. We can escape this world through a relationship with God. Well, then that's a good thing. That is a good outcome to those same desires. The problem in James chapter 1 is not the desire, but it is how we fulfill that desire. And that brings us back to free will. God has given us the opportunity to fulfill our desires that he has put in us. And in some ways, we can fulfill those desires positively or in a godlike manner. Or in other ways, we can fulfill those desires in a ungodly manner, in a sinful way. That's the choice put in front of us. And if we choose the godlike ways, that leads to life. And if we choose the sinful ways, that leads to death. And that brings me back to the passage that David and I talked about several times earlier in the week, where we talked about the narrow road, where it has a small gate and a straight road that leads to life, or the broad way and the wide gate that leads to destruction. That's our choice. We get to choose whether we want life or death whether we want life being given to us or destruction in front of us. Those are the choices we're left with. And that's why free will is there. God wants us to make that choice. God wants us to, honestly, choose him. And so we talk oftentimes, or those who want to argue about why we're given this choice, and they say, well, why doesn't God just create a world where the only choice in front of us is a good choice? Well, because God wants us to make the good choice. And God honestly makes it as easy as is possible. Because God makes the choice so easy to understand, so easy to make. God doesn't want to make this hard. God makes it and talks about it in as clear terms as would absolutely be possible. Another passage that I often think of is over in 1 John chapter 3, verse 7. Now, interestingly, our passage there in James ended with the idea of, do not let anyone deceive you. Well, here it says, verse 7, little children, let no one deceive you. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who commits sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God was revealed for this purpose, to destroy the devil's works. Everyone who has been born of God does not sin because his seed remains in him. He's not able to sin because he's been born of God. This is how God's children and the devil's children become obvious. Whoever does not do what is right is not of God, especially the one who does not love his brother or sister. Now again, Without getting into the weeds here, what you see on a very basic level is that God makes the choice obvious. There is a wide gap between those who pursue the will of God, those who pursue life, those who pursue righteousness, those who pursue doing what is good, 
versus those who are pursuing what is wrong, those who pursue death, those who are opposed to God or rebellious toward God. One here is called the children of God. One here is called the children of the devil. Those are two very different categories of people. And free will allows us to decide which side of that large chasm we want to be on. Do we want to belong to God or do we want to belong to the devil? That's what free will is all about and has been from the beginning. As you heard David and I talk about the Garden of Eden and the choice of the tree of life or the tree of knowledge of good and evil that leads to death, the choice is obvious again. Right there next to each other in the middle of the garden, you've got one tree that leads to great outcome and another tree that leads to death. It is not hard to decide which one of those you want to eat from. I often use this illustration with people. If I were to put a bowl in front of them, and in one bowl I had, let's say, M&Ms or Skittles, and in the other bowl I had granular poison, and I said, I don't care which one you eat from, but I'd like for you to take a spoonful of one or the other. Is that a hard choice to make? Is it hard to decide between a bowl of what is good and tasty or a bowl of what is poisonous? Now, of course, you can argue that candy is poisonous and all that. Barring all of that, what I want you to notice is that the choice is clear. Free will is not trickery. Free will is not something that should deceive you. Free will is not something that should be hard for us because it is something where the choice is made so abundantly and obviously clear. God's way is good. Any other way is bad. Now, if you do any studying or digging deeper on the concept of free will, you're going to come across a lot of different theories regarding how free will works, and how does that work in terms of God's foreknowledge? And how much control do we really have over our lives versus how much control God has over our lives? And just theory after theory after theory after theory. I'm going to encourage you to put all of that aside for the one truth that is so clear in Scripture. The question that we are asked on almost every page the same question that Joshua asked the children of Israel as he made his choice. He says, choose this day whom you will serve. That's our choice. Choose this day who you're going to serve. Are you going to serve God and receive life, receive blessings, receive benefit, receive love, receive relationship, receive eternity? Or are you going to choose the devil? And by the devil, that would include pursuing your own will, pursuing anything that is contrary to God, pursuing our own selfish ways, pursuing fulfilling our flesh and our, sin, our desires in sinful ways. What are you going to choose? That's what God has made possible for you. And from the very beginning, he has wanted us each to choose whether we will serve him or whether we will serve something else. I'm like Joshua. I have decided that me and my family, we will serve the Lord. And I encourage you to do the same. If we can help you make that choice, please let us know. 
we wanna walk you through why that is the single most important and best choice that you can make for your life. That God is worth serving, praising, honoring, worshiping, and following all the days of your life. And if we can share with you some truth that will convince you of that, if you're on the edge of making that decision, but something's holding you back, let us help you make that decision because it is the single best decision I have ever made in my life. And I will guarantee you it will be the single best decision you make in yours also. Let's choose to serve the Lord. I hope this podcast has been helpful to you. And I hope in some ways it has helped you have some clarity regarding your faith, regarding your understanding of scripture, and regarding your understanding about how scripture applies to your life. If we can help you further, reach out to us at preachimpediments.com and we hope you'll tune in to future episodes. Until then, 